Paper Beats Rock, but Scissors Beats the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. A podcast the Navy has refloated more than once. The only time he was wrong was the time he thought he made a mistake. It's Medicare expert Doug Jones. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another thrill-packed episode of the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. As my Canadian nephew, Drew McMillan, probably told you, this is Doug Jones, your Medicare specialist for today and hopefully for all time. Welcome to another episode of uh, a podcast in which we try to help you feel confident about your impending connection with Medicare. Some people are frightened, they're trepidatious, they are uncomfortable with the idea that Medicare is coming and they don't know quite how to prepare for it. And my job is to help everybody feel comfortable, confident, and to come through their encounter with uh, Medicare in a victorious manner. The way I do that is to suggest that they read my book, which is Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. If you go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com and put that in the search window, Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023, you're going to come up with any one of a number of editions of my book, all of them 2023, but uh, some of them are reading editions, some are listening editions, and some are designed in such a magnificently beautiful way as to become keepsakes not to be read so much as to be enjoyed. That would be the $22 hardcover edition of the book. And it is incredibly rewarding when I have people go back to Amazon and leave a little short written review telling how much they enjoyed the book and how helpful it was in their quest for Medicare knowledge. In fact, many people acquire enough knowledge from my book in a very palatable way as to become Medicare experts on their own. Uh, They feel much more confident, and uh, I am proud of the fact that I can convey that knowledge to them in a very painless and um, easy-to-swallow way. So by all means, go get Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023, and you will be confident that uh, your Medicare encounter will be a wonderful one, and I will then help you with the rest of the Medicare health insurance acquisitions that you're going to need to create a bulletproof protection against medical bills. Speaking of bulletproof, Randy and I were talking about uh, firing weapons and hurting our hearing last year, and I now have to speak louder than I ever thought I would have to. Randy, Randy, up. What? here we are. What? Ready, to, ready to get going here. Let's go. Let, let me get my ear horn out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they used to use that on the uh, Three Stooges a lot. Uh, there was always an old guy with an ear horn uh, somewhere in the background. And uh, I never really expected that those things were uh, effective. But Well, you know, that's a great question because I wouldn't have thought so either. But back in the day, before they invented, you know, modern stethoscopes, right? they had a, a thing that was not terribly unlike an ear horn that doctors would plant on your chest so they could listen to your heart. No kidding. I never thought about that. Wow. 
Well, um, the advance of medical science is always a, uh, an interesting thing to discuss. Um, you know, the curator, the content curator is off gallivanting around Texas right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she left me with a stack of curated topics. And uh, I kind of winnowed that down because it was really heavy on the let's uh, kill uh, Medicare Advantage plans and bury them and put a stake through their hearts and so forth and so on. What's wrong uh, with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't know if the audience wants to hear that every episode. Medicare disadvantage, Medicare yes. scam band. I, I have a number of different fond terms for that. We might want to start a different uh, uh, podcast that deals only with Medicare scam vantage. But yeah, in we any can event, do that. But I thought, so today, let's take a little break from that. We ended our most recent episode with a hearing aid uh, tutorial. It's like uh, hints. Here's what you're going to do, because now hearing aids in some respects are available over the counter. I don't think every hearing aid is, but many hearing aids are available over the counter. And so that was kind of a shopper's guide. How do you how do you buy them as a smart shopper? What do you look for and everything else? Now I've got an article that's kind of related to that. And it says, I recently got hearing aids. How long should I wear them every day? Now, you would think if they bought the hearing aids from an audiologist, as all people did up until recently, that the audiologist would have answered that question for them. But they may have gotten them over the counter. So I thought, let's address this in case anybody in the audience has concerns about how long they should wear their hearing aids every day. So the answer is wear your hearing aids from the time you wake up until you go to bed at night. Now, this is the advice of an audiologist named Sarah Sidlowski. Uh, She's the director for the hearing implant program at the Cleveland Clinic. All day wear will help you get used to the new aids because you'll probably wear them in a variety of environments. On an ongoing basis, all day use has another plus. It helps keep your brain stimulated. Uh, Boy, I don't know how much stimulation my brain can handle. I know occasionally I, I want to stimulate myself into taking a nap, but in this case, this audiologist says that having your brain stimulated by your new hearing aids is beneficial for you. And then, um, so that kind of wraps that up. Wear your new hearing aids all day from morning till night. And then the same column, advice, uh, valuable advice for people, has another question that I thought we might address. It's, I'm sure it's a uh, burning uh, significance to uh, our audience members. The question is, what kinds of shoes or slippers are best to wear at home? And I see she could not stop herself from wasting yellow highlighter on the uh, important elements of this article. So let me address that burning problem. If you currently go barefoot or pad around the house in socks, or if you usually stick with flip-flops or loose, unsupportive, or slick-bottom slippers, it's time to make a change. Those can increase your risk of falling. Opt for footwear that's supportive, has a flexible, non-skid sole, and is flat-heeled. The National Council on Aging, this is what ties it into the Medicare arena and uh, makes it actually uh, worthwhile fodder for our little podcast here. The National Council on Aging recommends a house shoe with laces or straps with convenient fabric fasteners, but a slip-on may be fine if it meets the criteria above and if the fit is snug, but not too tight, and will not easily fall off. Well, what do you wear when you're walking around the house, Randy? 
Well, I used to wear baseball spikes. Okay. <laughs> but and they they gave good traction and you know everything was good except for Margaret was not happy about all the things that I did to the carpet with them. Well, I don't blame her. I don't blame her at all. Uh so did you change to a different kind of spike, say golf spikes or no, I, I went to track spikes then, because okay. if you remember, track spikes only have little tiny spikes in the front, mm. whereas baseball spikes have got those big blades. Yeah, yeah, I can see where that would have been problematic. But in today's world, the the, the nubby part on the bottom of baseball spikes yep, yep, is, yep. is just nylon. Okay, back in the day when I was playing baseball, this these were sharp metal blades. So, uh. you know. We we get hit in the shin with one of those things. It's going to leave a mark. Yeah, but that person's never going to come back again. If you get them right, they're going to remember that pain, and they're <laughs> probably uh, not going to endanger did, you. Did you did you ever play baseball when you were a kid? I never had metal spikes. I played baseball. Oh, I played we, baseball a lot. I was only on a uniform team for one summer, but uh, yeah, I played we, a lot. We used, in high school, we used to have guys from this other town, which shall remain nameless, used to slide into the base with their spikes high. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's not really a, a friendly way to to no. score on another team, is it? Well, I got to tell you, the um, uh, the shoes that I wear are topsiders. And I decided to wear those years ago when I first discovered them because they make me feel as though I'm a yacht owner. Now, here we are decades later, and the company, Medicare for the Lazy Man International, Inc., owns a yacht, as it turns out. I've only seen pictures of it. Randy has actually traveled on it frequently. I'm, I can't wait till I am able to leave the microphone and uh, take a little vacation. I'll be looking for that yacht and maybe looking for a, a cruise. So here we go with more curated content, Medicare plans and diabetes. Traditional Medicare may be a better than Medicare Advantage if you have type 2 diabetes. In a large study, Medicare Advantage users were more likely to get preventive care like kidney screenings, but they were less likely to be using effective heart protective meds and had slightly higher blood pressure, cholesterol, and blood sugar than traditional Medicare users. So if you've got type two diabetes and you're on a Medicare Advantage plan, it might be that you're you've made the wrong choice and you should consider applying for a Medicare supplement plan. I know that one of the uh, my favorite uh, companies has a health questionnaire, but when it comes to diabetes, they ask if your diabetes requires 50 units or less of insulin per day. If it does, if it's less than 50 units of insulin, then you're perfectly satisfactory. You, you know, unless you have other problems, and it's um, the kind of thing that I would recommend get out from under that Medicare scam vantage plan as soon as you can and get into a Medicare supplement plan. So moving on, here's a, something I'm not familiar with, and so I'll be learning right along with everybody. This is Medicare and CHM's Senior Share Program. I don't even know what CHM is, much less do I know what a Senior Share Program is. So let's dive into this. As healthcare costs increase, it's wise to be ready if a medical event occurs. Though Medicare Parts A and B likely will cover the majority of your health care costs, it's not uncommon for senior citizens to find themselves with large dollar amounts of unpaid medical bills, not if they have paid attention to the recommendations of your old Uncle Doug 
So as CHM members approach retirement age, they can have great comfort in knowing that CHM participates, uh, participation can continue without interruption in the next phase of life. I don't know what CHM is. You know, you'd think I should know about the subject matter before I the curator actually shoves the article under my nose. CHM Senior Share Gift Reduction. CHM members age 65 and older who participate at the gold level are eligible for a CHM Senior Share Program Gift Reduction. I don't think I don't know why this is even in the pile of articles, Randy. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna bag this particular thing and move on to the next curated uh, item because I don't think that has anything to do with <laughs> the Medicare program as you and I know about it. So our next uh, entry into the curated content here: the facts about Medicare spending. Medicare provides health insurance coverage for more than 65 million people, nearly 20% of the U.S. population. That share will grow larger in the coming decades. In 2021, Medicare spending comprised 13% of the federal budget and 21% of national health care spending. Given Medicare's essential role as a source of coverage for an aging population and the importance of sustaining the program for future generations, Medicare is often part of discussions about total federal government spending, healthcare spending in the U.S., and the affordability of healthcare costs. An aging population means that more people will be enrolled in the Medicare program. The number of Medicare beneficiaries, I, I call them participants, is projected to grow from around 63 million in 2020 to just over 93 million people in 2060. These totals include younger adults who qualify for Medicare because of a long-term disability. Growth in total Medicare spending has been driven in part by an increase in the number of people enrolled in Medicare. The growth in healthcare spending is influenced by increasing volume and the use of services, new technologies, and rising prices. Looking to the future, these factors will continue to play a role in Medicare spending growth. In 2022, Medicare benefit payments totaled $744 billion, up from just under $200 billion in the year 2000. So that's uh, almost a quadrupling in the last 22 years or thereabouts. These amounts net out premiums and other offsetting receipts. In percentage terms, this translate to an, uh, translates to an average annual growth rate of 6.3% over these years. Medicare spending per person has also grown increasing from $5,800 to $15,700 between 2000 and 2022, or 4.6 average annual growth over the 22-year period. The influx of baby boomer generation added many relatively younger and healthier people to the Medicare population beginning in 2011. Looking to the future, net Medicare outlays are projected to increase from $744 billion in 2022 to nearly $1.7 trillion in 2023. Ah, that's too big a jump for one year. I'm not sure I uh, I believe that statistic. Um, this is due to the growth in the Medicare population increase. I think there's a misprint in that particular part of the article. The aging of the population has important implications for future Medicare spending. On a per-person basis, Medicare spending is lower for benefit uh, beneficiaries than 
in their 60s and 70s and then rises with age peaking uh, the the expenditures peak among beneficiaries in their mid to late 90s and i know why that is that is because anybody older than the late 90s is dead already so it's just not the kind of thing that uh, the expenditures go on forever and ever but uh, anyway that article might have had one flaw in it that i'm going to have to speak to the curator about and finally for today the latest extraordinary findings on pandemic or as i call it the panic the coronavirus panic improper payments a recently released u.s government accountability office report benignly titled a framework for managing improper payments in emergency assistance programs serves as a forward-looking guide for policymakers responding to future emergencies it also includes a number of extraordinary facts about how badly government programs were abused during the recent panic one the panic saw a large increase in government benefits fraud and fraud is likely to be an ongoing challenge in future emergencies. The COVID-19 panic saw an increase in the frequency and volume of identity-related fraud, particularly in the areas of unemployment insurance and assistance to small businesses, as well as sophisticated fraud schemes. Oh, boy. Federal agencies reported over $500 billion in estimated improper payments during fiscal years 2021 and 2022. And that omits some of the peak months of panic spending. Most government programs at risk reported improper payment rates of 10% or more. Jeez. And this thing just goes on and on. The news doesn't get better. It gets worse and worse. The legislative response to the panic bears some blame for the rising fraud. I think we all knew that. Some independent contractors who realized the state had no way to verify their unemployment may have been able to fraudulently claim that they were unemployed, contributing to improper payments. Self-certification of eligibility is especially problematic. We and others have repeatedly found that self-certification can increase the risk of fraud, which may ultimately reduce the total amount of funds available uh, to individuals and businesses. Programs must do a better job of using available government data to ensure benefits are protected. Agencies should proactively identify data that they may need to verify um, applicant identity and eligibility and to resolve any barriers to accessing data before an emergency occurs. Even verifying Social Security numbers proved to be a challenge during the panic, and the failure to do so resulted in billions of dollars in losses. In January 2023, the Panic Response Accountability Committee, good, let's have a committee to figure out how stupid we were about just uh, having the treasury looted. Uh, anyway, that committee identified $5.4 billion in potential identity fraud associated with 69,000 questionable and unverified Social Security numbers across disbursed COVID-19 loan program applications. Uh, this is uh, this is very disturbing news that uh, shouldn't surprise anybody when the federal government decides to overreact and uh, shut down business as usual, uh, cause people all kinds of difficulties. Uh, guess what happens? The treasury gets looted by unscrupulous persons, and I am uh, we and all uh, I, me, you, all taxpayers are. Uh, 
left holding the bag, I guess. Pretty depressing stuff there, huh, Randy? I don't like the sounds of that at all, but uh, I think there's a solution to it. What is that? Once every week in the town square, we hang a crook, okay, ah, in public. Yes. In, <laughs> in public, we string them up to the nearest oak tree, and then we put a sign on the oak tree that says, this person here got caught trying to fool the system as far as Medicare payments or any other payments as far as that goes. You know, there are a lot of people who think they can outsmart everybody and they could say to themselves, that guy got caught, but I'm too smart to get caught. And so mm-hmm. I learned years ago in uh, a psychology class I had that the most effective punishment for a criminal is not so much the severity of the punishment, but the certainty of the punishment. And so if mm. you have a guy who is, uh, uh, you know, we can hang him from a tree and put a sign on him and uh, let that be a warning to other miscreants that are contemplating the same uh, crime, or you can do something that's less permanent than killing him, but is so certain that everybody who contemplates that particular uh, crime will say, oh, no, I know I'm going to get caught. The odds are too great. I'm not going to commit that crime. If we could figure out a way to do that, it's probably impossible to figure out how to do that. But it's, you know, psychologists would tell you that's the most effective way to prevent the crime. Certainty of punishment. You know, that's a gr- I've never thought of it that way. There, There is one, you know, era area of my life that I have a bit of experience with something that is relatively certain. I mean, uh-huh. okay, let me say it's more certain than many other areas that you're going to get caught. And that's bank robbery. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You, very well, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen because it does, but your chances of getting caught if you rob a bank uh-huh. are relatively good. Are they really? Well, that's good to hear because I hear about all these bank robbers that waltz into into banks uh, with their COVID masks on and, you know, basically pass a note to a teller and wind up walking out with 20 grand or whatever. I don't know how those guys get caught. How do we catch them? Well, that's a great question. I'll have to take that under advisement later. Maybe we maybe we shouldn't be podcasting to an audience full of overachievers. (laughs) It might be it might be best not to share the secrets. We have uh, run out of our 75 cents. Speaking of money, we need to go ahead and close up shop because we are out of time. But before I do, there's a few things I always like to do. One is, is to publish Doug's email address because he gets so disappointed every morning. He gets up looking at his inbox. And if there's nothing there, it just sets the day off on the wrong foot right off the get-go. So here you go. dbj at mlmmailbag.com. You can always flip Doug an email at that address. The other thing is I always like to tell people that Doug is licensed nationwide to help you with your Medicare supplement planning. There's uh, That's a great resource to take advantage of. And uh, bottom line, you can also check us out at medicareforthelazyman.com. We would always appreciate a chance to have a good review if you enjoy what we do, either in the podcast or in the book, if you enjoy it. If you could find a way to tell somebody that, that would be really a good idea because we're always up against the rating wars. But the most important thing of this list is that we want to thank you 
for joining us. You could have been doing a number of different things and you weren't, you were with us. And we appreciate every one of you because we didn't have, we didn't have to shush anybody. We didn't have to reprimand anybody, nor did we have to kick anybody out. What a well-behaved crowd, huh? I know. I know. Well, just in case you haven't been checking your watch, you have spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy from Oklahoma no more. He's living up in the high ground behind Cave Creek, Arizona, in his fortress of solitude. And today he is up above the cloud line. So I'm going to put him in at about 13.7. Ooh, boy, it's a little chilly up here. But thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be looking forward to our next encounter. Bye bye. <laughs>